Okay, good afternoon, good evening, <clears throat> whoever, whoever you happen to be. Uh, I'm a bit hoarse uh, from Yom Kippur. Um, I'll begin with a bit of a full disclosure. I've been trying to use the Shurim since Pesach uh, Shavuos to uh, basically, <clears throat> for an agenda of my own, which is Spigman Haftor Road. I published a book in Hebrew on Haftor Road, and they're missing five Haftor Road, those of Yom Tavshayni. And I committed basically to doing them in the English translation to publish Yom Tov Sheini, which means I have to teach them first. So we did Yom Tov Sheini Shavuos in a Zoom meeting like this, a Shavuos time. In Yom Atzmut, we did uh, last day Pesach. So now I'd like to discuss really the Aftarah, second day Sukkot in Chutz um, Laaretz. Uh, but of course, it, even if you're in Israel, it uh, reflects upon Sukkot in general. I just point out uh, the following observation to begin with. The Gemara and Megillah gives us a list of all the Aftarot that we read during the year, including all the, or all the after the year, I should say, really. And if you look in Sukkot, if you're in Chutz Lairitz, there are four Aftarot. First day, second day, Shemini Atzeres, and Sichas Torah. From the Gemara's point of view, three out of the four are often the same Perakim Melachim. Malachim Perakhet, which describes the dedication of Beis HaMikdash. The second half Torah, to this very day, is from the beginning of the eighth Perak of Malachim. The Torah Shminyat is from there, from the end of that Perak. And the Gemara Thal and Surah's Torah, you should also read uh, from that same Perak. We, we, we nowadays read from Yeshua, but from the Gemara Thal, you should read from there. In other words, the, the dedication ceremony of Beis HaMikdash occupies three out of four slots in the Torahs of Sukkot. And the only one that doesn't occupy first day Sukkot, and when Zechariah talks there about, So Zechariah is also talking about coming to Beis HaMikdash and celebrating over there. So essentially, whenever you're looking in Tanakh to describe either to celebrate or to, associate, or to associate with Chek Sukkot, you're basically talking about Beis HaMikdash. And that obviously, it's a major statement. Just the choice that after wrote tells us that Chazal thought... Now, I should, of course, mention, and if, um, if for a moment, I'll put this on the screen, uh, just a moment. Um, here, this is the Perek. Second, um, it begins uh, over here as a Shlomo. It's a long parak, and that's why you can carve three after out of it. It's 50 something psukim. Now it says here in Perik in Pasuk Israel, All of Amisho assembled together with Shlomo to dedicate the Mikdash. The month which is called. And why there are many suggestions why it was called Yerech Eitanim. Eitanim means it's, it's, it's a form of strength. Uh, either the Chagim are strong, whatever other reason there is. But Lamaise, the Pazuk says explicitly it's the seventh month, meaning the Semitish was dedicated Sukkot time. Quite the was the week before Sukkot, meaning from Zion Tishrei to Yudalot Tishrei, they dedicated the Mikdash. And they spent another week celebrating Sukkot as well, meaning, and this is said more or less explicitly in a pasuk towards the end. One second, I'll uh, locate it. One moment. Uh, uh, here it is. Vayash um, and he celebrated the Chag, Shivat Yamim, Shivat Yamim, Yom. So he twice celebrated Sukkot, meaning um, basically seven days they actually engaged in the, in the dedication and all of the whole ceremony there of the 22,000 Korbanot, etc., etc. And then uh, they spent another week, Sukkot time, basically uh, soaking it in and enjoying the Yom Tov and the dedication of the Mikdash for another week. Essentially, Sukkot and Chanukah Besamikdash are combined. 
which is why a whole bunch of people think there's a connection between Sukkot and Hanukkah because Hanukkah as well, of course, is a dedication of Bismarck. But at the very least, Tanakh is explicit that Bismarck was dedicated Sukkot's time. Um, and uh, that, ob- now, that obviously raises the question. So we, we read Aftara because it happened in Tishrei. Happened Sukkot's time, so it's logical to read Aftara and Sukkot, of course. But that, the story of the Tanakh that it happened Sukkot's time assumes a connection have implied between Sukkah and Mikdash. And uh, that, of course, the question is, well, is this indeed so? And uh, if so, what's the idea behind it? Let me now, uh, before, before addressing this directly, I'd like to point out a second point. The, on Pesach, we know very well what happened. We know that the Amish left Egypt, because Baruch redeemed us, he chose us, and all of this uh, made, uh, all, all this is, what, is why we celebrate Pesach. We celebrate Pesach because we left Egypt, we were chosen, etc. Um, Sukkot is an enigmatic statement about the Ananim in the desert, or this is the Sukkot, excuse me, the desert. He was Sukkot in the desert, in the wilderness, Am Israel was. Um, Set in Sukkot. Now, okay, so in a sense, you could view the whole system as being a celebration of history. On Pesach time, we celebrate leaving Egypt, but leaving Egypt wasn't the whole story. After Egypt, they got stuck 40 years in the wilderness. It was dangerous over there as well. Anybody who's ever spent some time in Sinai knows it's it's not it's not exactly a hospitable place. It's uh quite scary to be in Sinai. It's uh, it is not a uh, it's not exactly a, a motel, uh, and, and therefore they needed Saturday Shabbat to survive in the desert. So it's all one continuum: Pesach and then Sukkot. And you could certainly make such a case. Um, on the other hand, um, if we look, if, if we stick for the moment to Beit Knesset, we'll notice that Chazal seem to strongly divide between Pesach and Sukkot. And I'm talking about Kriya Torah. Kriya Torah and Pesach is, we read the story, it's just trying, right? We read how we left Egypt, etc. In uh, on Sukkot, on the first day, you read what Chazal called Parshat HaMu'adot, Shavuot Kuanim. You read basically the halachot, the fact that, because Baruch told us to observe Yom Tov, but what's more interesting is the following, Cholamoid. Cholamoid, on Pesach, every day we read a different uh, portion which discusses, which describes, discusses whatever, leaving Egypt. And Sukkot, we read the Korbanot. Right? Christopher and Sukkot, you read simply the Korbanos of the day. In Chutzlar, it's, you, it's, it's a bit of variety. Eretz Yisrael, you read the same Aliyah, Four times running. You read the same, four straight days, you read the same Gersa Torah. What's interesting and intriguing is that Pesach also is a carbon. We bring a carbon Musaf on Sukkos, we bring a carbon Musaf on Pesach. We daven Musaf on Pesach, and Cholomoy, we daven Musaf on Cholomoy Sukkos. Nevertheless, Chazal did not did not institute laning the Musaf of Pesach at all. Nowadays, we lane three aliyahs from the story of Mitzrayim, and the final aliyah is the Musaf. That is a later uh, takanda. From the Gemara, you don't lane the Korban at all. Meaning Pesach, Chazal did not see any need to institute the Korban in Kresatar and Chalamoid. They did in Sukkot. And it seems to me the reason is not simply because in Pesach they had good variety to choose from and there were more selections. And Sukkot is very little to go on. They were slim picking, so they had to use the korbanos. Rather, there's something much more basic here, which is that the Kedush of Sukkot is to a large degree intertwined with the korbanos. The actual Kedusha Sayyam of Sukkot is uh, predicated upon the fact 
there would be a carbon. Here I have to explain a bit. There was an intimate connection in the Torah between uh, between between carbon and Yom Tov. Um, let me just for a moment take a pasuk, for instance. Sefer Vayikra describes after describes all the talking Vayikra Perik Chav Gimel. So the final pasuk, or, or near near the end, it says like this: These are the Chagim. These are the Chagim to bring a korban. To give an offering to Kosh you bring the risk carbonos, the ola, the mincha, etc. In other words, the pasuk is describing basically the goal of the chag, the telos of sukkot, or excuse me, of the chag is to be a carbon. And the same thing repeats itself in Parshas Pinchas. After we lay all the carbonos, so the Torah says, the, the last pasuk there, these are the karbanos you bring on all the Yom Tovim. This is in addition to all the regular karbanos. Meaning, in Chazal, halachically developed this idea at great length, and I'll skip that at the moment, is an intimate connection between the individual karbanos and the karbanos of the Yom Tovim. In other words, the Yom are basically defined and described as days in which you've been karbanos. Now, let me, I'll get back to this in a moment. Let me go a step further. It's a very well-known Yushalmi in Masech Pesachim. And Yushalmi says the following. If a person brings a karban, a person that she gave birth, she goes to a karban yoledis, a person celebrated a milestone birthday. He wants to be a carbon the Dava. He made a chait. He wants to go to some Migdash to a carbon. On the day that he offers his carbon, it's a Yom Tov. He can't do Malacha. He cannot... If you be a carbon it's a Migdash, it's just like Yom Tov. You can't do any Malacha. Matter of fact, Yushalmi is so disturbed. Yushalmi asks, how can we do Malacha the year round? Because every day is a carbon torment. Right? So it should be a perpetual Yom Tov. So he says the Kashbrahu decreed we have to go to work. Um, but it's not for the Nebuch need to go to work. So every day, Abisra will be in a Yomto because we're a carbon torment. In other words, a carbon triggers a Yomto. To put it differently, the connection between Yomto and carbon is as follows Yomto is expressed through a carbon, and a carbon triggers a Yomto. It's a, it's, a, it's a two-way street. You both trigger a Yom Tov you bring a Korban, and you express the Yom Tov. When it's Yom Tov, you express itself through a Korban. Now, uh, what's the idea behind this? The idea is very simple, and uh, once more, I'm, I'm uh, not expanding upon this because I want to get back to the left turn. The idea is a Korban, from one perspective, it's simply a gift. It's, a, it's an expression. It's, some way, it's a token appreciation. Same way, so if you go, someone invites you for Shabbos, so you bring a bottle of wine, or you send flowers to someone, uh, and so on and so forth, you express a relationship not only through verbally, by thanking them, saying thank you. You also want to make the, you want to realize the expression of thanks through a material object. That's how human, human beings and, and human psyche works. We try to express our feelings also through objects. So we give flowers, we send boxes of chocolate. We also bring carbonate. And the carbon, now, what does the carbon achieve? It achieves the fnashem. You present the kashbar, the carbon is the fnashem. And the yom tov is the fnashem. So if you're the fnashem because it's yom tov, you express this, through being a carbon, which expresses the fact that you're close and intimate with the Kosh Baruch Hu. The primary expression of this is the carbon you bring on uh, uh, the other regal, Korban Re'iyah. It is simply a carbon which you bring for the very fact that you're in God's presence. It's what's called the Chazal Riyat Panim, that God gazes upon you, that you present yourself to, to Him, capital H. That already uh, 
is a reason to bring a carbon. As I said before, if you bring the carbon, so that brings you close to him, and therefore you have to express that through Yantav. Okay, now this is true in general, but it's uniquely true in Sukkot because when we lay Korbanus Ayyam, what we're saying is that the Kedusha of Sukkot is to a large degree, is, as I said before, it's, it's, it's predicated upon the Korbanus because Sukkot is not only the time in history when we sat in the desert, it is also the, the Chag in which you bring a whole system of Korbanus which you don't have any other place. Essentially, right, if, if you remember the Korbanot of the Musafim, there's a uniform, uh, more or less a uniform uh, formula. It's either 217 or 117. 217 is Rosh Chodesh, Pesach, and Shavuos, and 117 is the Yemim Narayim, Shemim Yatzeris. So it's, and now 217 and 117 are pretty close to each other. But broadly speaking, it's a set formula. Sukkot is the only Yom Tov which basically is unique. It has its own special um, um, its own special code, you could say. Not only that, but it's clear that this is a whole different like, it's a whole different ballgame. It's not two and seven, it's fourteen, it's thirteen, it's uh, the amount of parim you know, the parim are more than triple what we normally bring. It's uh, the Kvasimar Debel. It's a whole different kind of system. Now, what's more, if we had a different format and more, and more time, you can also illustrate how the halachot of Musaf Sukkot are quite different than that of other Musafim. In a nutshell, Sukkot is a system. The others are not. Meaning, if a person, if I'm Israel, brings only one carbon. Instead of two and seven, you bring only one or two. That was we bring two out of eight out of ten. Or you bring one out of nine, but the Eved, if you have no choice, you're behind the mitzvah. And Sukkot, it's all different story. Sukkot, you Sukkot is a big machlok at uh, whether or not that works. And the reason is because Sukkot is a system. In other words, it's not simply that this is the Kedusha, this is the essence of Sukkot. And therefore, it is built as a whole system. <laughs> now, if I'll just summarize this, and once more, I am not expanding. Um, essentially, the Kedusha of Sukkot rests upon the idea that you bring Korbanot. Not only we're in the desert, but you also bring Korbanot. Now, I don't have to tell you that Korbanot and Mesamikdash go hand in hand. So, Sukkot is, in a sense, uniquely connected to the Mikdash much more than the other Hagi. Now, let's, um, let's go a step further and um, go back to what is Sukkot all about. Oh, first of all, maybe I should just add one, uh, one other pasuk. There's a famous pasuk in Sefer Tehillim. Vayihi b'shalem Sukkot umonato b'tziyah. Right, Shalem Shalem is Yushalayim Sukkot. Right, his Sukkot is in Yushalayim, Umaonatol His dwelling is in Tzion. Now, Tehillim, the most basic literary uh, paradigm in Tehillim, which is probably thousands of times. I'm not exaggerating. Is the power parallelism? The first Luchu Niranim Hashem Nariel Tzrishel. Right. The first half and the second half are, are the same thing. The first and second half, and the second half repeats the first half, often with a slight variation, which is which which may be interesting. But the basic idea always is what you say in the first half of the pasuk, you say in the second half. What you say in the first half, you know, it's parallel to the second half. The second half is a mikdash. Right, what is God's dwelling place in Yerushalayim? The Mikdash. So what is B'Shalem Sukkot? The Mikdash. The Mikdash is called the Sukkah. And it's from the Kashbrok's point of view, when you want to describe his place in Yerushalayim, you say his, 
Hisukkah, whatever we'll call it, is in Yerushalayim, and his mansion is in Tzion. It's saying one the same. So the sukkah is used to refer to the of Mikdash. And if you remember, you, if you remember from Megillat Eicha, um, uh, I forget the exact question. One second. Um, it refers also to, um, one moment. Um, Vayachmos kagan sukkah shichet mo'ado. It's the same idea. Lachmos and the shachet means to destroy. It's the, the similar verse. They mean to destroy. He destroyed mo'ado. Mo'ado means the place where he, his meeting place. Ohel mo'ed, the place where he's designated his designated place. Ohel mo'ed is mo'ado. Vayachmos kagan sukkah. He destroyed his sukkah. He devastated his mo'ed. What's more, sukkah mo'ed, sukkah ma'on, meaning the Tanakh uses sukkah often to describe or as a metaphor for this amikdash. Okay, so now, where does this bring us? It brings us to Ananea Kavod, or to the famous question, what were these sukkot in the desert? Right, Chazal, two opinions. One opinion is that the sukkah was um, a, a literal sukkah, which may have much more agricultural or which it has historical agricultural uh, connotations or context, I should say, really. But if you talk with sukkah mamash, you talk more, I said at the beginning, you're threading it along Pesach and the historical odyssey through the desert. And they kavod you're talking about a whole different ex- experience. You're talking about being God's presence under his canopy. And his canopy is the desert, is the Ananim. And his canopy in Yushalayim is the Beit HaMikdash. Meaning, both places, because God is wrapping you around, where you're coming to meet him in a place in which Kaviyachor, right, the Shechina is covering you and enveloping you, uh, as you present yourself to the Kosh So you're either in the desert with the Ananim, or you're in the Mikdash with the structure itself. Let me just add, the Ramban at least thought that the Peshuda Shemikra is on the Kavod. Rashbam thought the reverse, if I remember. The Ramban thought that on the Kavod, the Peshuda Shemikra, meaning the context of Sukkot, according to this opinion, is not so much to remember history. No, no, the desert, paradoxically, has two experiences in it. Maybe not so paradoxically. One experience is that of peril and danger. It's dangerous. You have all kinds of serpents and, uh, and heat and whatnot. And, and the sukkah is very... It, it, you're in great danger. Of course, look at the eagle. The eagle had, when the eagle, what was the eagle basically? It was panic. Why did they panic? Because they're in the wilderness, exposed to the elements, exposed to heat, animals, uh, whatnot, and there's no protection and no guide to lead them. So one level, the Midbar is a place of danger. On another level, it's the place of the Amud, Amudesh, Amud Anan, of the man, it's a place in which you are literally in the, in the divine, you, you breathe Kaviyachol, the divine presence, right? The Aram, right, in the Midbar, the Machana, right? Bnei organized around the Aram, right? Basically, the Ark is in the middle. Misaviv, Lemishkan, Oel, Moed, Yachanu. The whole camp is organized around the around uh, the, uh, the the urn itself. So we put, it's like, let me just, make this almost. Let me just uh, quote one halachic uh, expression of this, even though it's a bit perplexing. There's a halacha in Sefer Bamidbar that you have to send away from the camp anybody who's Tameh. Right? Now, there's, there's a tripartite division there between Machanashchina and those, the three Concentric circles. The 
what is this translated into? So anyone in Machane has to leave. What is this? If he's Tamed, of course. What does this mean? And later on, it means only Yushalayim. Meaning there's an equation between living in the desert and living in Yushalayim. Living in the living in Machanes on the wilderness is like living in the Mikdash. Because the Mikdash, it's a, because you, you surround the Machane, and therefore, the same way a Tomei can't be in the Mikdash, he can't be the Machan in the desert. Because the Machan in the desert is a form, it's basically an extension of the Mikdash. Same Yushalayim is an extension of the Mikdash through all the generations. So, based, based on the desert, they're living in God's presence. Like this is Vahib Shalim Sukrom, Tobit Siyan, you could say Vahib Midbar, right? That's like Dev Mudanan and Mudesh. So, basically, now Sukkot commemorates Sukkot Mamash, it's addressing more the danger. If it's Sukkot, that was Anekavod, it's sing. The question is, what, what are we trying to single out and to emphasize? from the experience in the desert. We're trying to emphasize the fact that Baruch Hu protects us. Uh, he protects you under his wing, which that's what it means. Evrato is a wing. and means he protects you under his schach of this wing. Or do we want to focus upon not the peril and the danger and the Kosh Baruch who protected us. Rather, we want to focus upon how close and intimate we were with him. And this is the idea of Nekavod. And the same intimacy is then, for generations, transformed into Beis HaMikadosh. And so, the Sukkah experience in the desert is the same experience which is then later on re- relocated to the Mikdash. Now, let me um, let me add here uh, an additional point. And for this, I'll go back to um, I'll go back to the Perakim Malachi for a moment. Uh, one moment. Um, one second. Um, Notice over here. Ve'eviyah kohanim et aron be'dashem mekomal. So they bring the aron to besamikdash el tachet kanfei akruvim under the kruvim. Ki akruvim porsim kafei mekom aron. The kruvim spread their wings over the location of the aron. Ve'yasoku akruvim al aron al badav. Ve'yasoku means, right, it's the same root of schach. They create a canopy over the Aron. They are schach over the Aron. And uh, if you remember the Pasuk in Sefer Shemot, the Kriya described the sochichim bekanfehem, spreading their wings over, and the same verb is sochichim. As a matter of fact, uh, I found after I began to prepare this, Rabbi Nachim, uh, me, Rabbi Yaakov Yagem published an article in Alon Shrut 142. He makes a big deal of this. He talks about similar things I'm talking about now. He points out over there that the verb schach appears in the Torah, if I remember, four to five times in the context of the Mikdash and the Kruvim. And meaning to talk about schach is it means to talk about to spread your wings over the, over the Aron. Now, Let's continue. Let's go back to the Pesukim for a moment. I'm skipping a bit now. So the Kwanim have to leave because the house is full of the Anan. The cloud basically covers over the entire base of Mikdash, and the Quran can't stand because the Anan is full of Hashem. All the divine glory is in this expression, this Anan. Now, this, of course, brings us back to the conclusion of Sefer Shemot. 
Kuzi Sefer Shemot talks also, Vayichas Yananet Oed Moed, Ukvod Hashem Alet HaMishkan, and Moshe Rabbeinu can't enter the Midrash because the Kishachan of Anan, etc. Now, this, this is the same Anan of the Anekavod, and meaning the Anan in Besamikdash and the Anan in the Mishkan and the Anan in the Besam, in, in the, the Anan, what should we call it, in, um, the, in the Kalushan Shemot, in, in the wilderness, it's all the same Anan. Let me for a moment go back and um, just quote the Pesach for Shemot for a moment. Yeah, let's go back to them. Going back to inclusion of This is the, this is parallel, totally parallel to what we saw before. But the Quranim, right? The Anan, the Anan covers the, or, or basically Anan fills up the the bias. And could have to leave. And there's only one calling. It, at the end of the Sabbath, there's only one calling yet. It's Moshe Rabbeinu. So this is what happens over here. And now the Basu continues. Ubehalot he'anan, me'al mishkan, subhanah Yisrael, ki'anan shal mishkan yomar, bechol ma'asayhan. This is the same anan. The cloud of the mikdash and the cloud of the ananei kavod is one and the same, really. So Sukkot, is an expression of an anekavod. They said Mikdash has the anekavod within it. All this means, I said before, the basic Kash Baruch's presence. And uh, therefore, when do you dedicate the Mikdash? And Sukkot, because Sukkot when you celebrate the anekavod. And Sukkot expresses itself in the Korban. Because when, you, when you're in Kash Baruch's presence, you're being a Korban. So basically, Sukkot. And um, and the, and the mikdash base both express the idea of the anan, or both revolve I should say, around the anan. Now, let me add an additional point. I quoted before the puzzle of the kruvim. The kruvim is so About twenty years ago, uh, went to make a shiva. If I remember, it was Moshe Fisher. But, uh, he wrote me a very he wrote me a, a beautiful article, which discussing the kruvim. The basic point of the article, if I remember, was the following: that you have two kruvim, sochim fehem, and of course the kruvim is a huge tension between you now the, the, the prohibition of the zara and the kruvim. Right? We never want to make it material objects. Nevertheless, we have kruvim. It's a tension which many many people have, have discussed. His suggestion was that the reason two kruvim. We're not interested in the kruvim. We're interested in the space they create beneath them. What we, what we really want to do in the Besamikdash is not to address the kruvim. It's the space beneath. And when they, when they basically create the space, which is, has a boundary, the, uh, the, the around and the kruvim, and in between is basically a space because space expresses the fact that Kashbarach is incomprehensible to us. He's, uh, let's let Machshavat Fisa be. Space is the most abstract thing we can talk about. So essentially, the idea of the Kruvim is not to be, it's not the boy-girl Karuv. It's not the Karuv itself. It's the space created by them. And Sukkot is the same thing, right? The basic idea of Sukkot really is the space between the Anan. The Anan creates a space in which you speak to Kodesh Baruch Now, um, let me go for a moment, an additional Gemara, which emphasizes this. Um, second. Take a look at a very surprising quote from the Gemara. It's the Masechet Sukkot of Tet, as you can see. They were discussing the, the Pasuk, Chag Sukkot, Shibat Elim LaHashem. Chag Sukkot is dedicated to Kodesh Baruch It's a strange phrase, Chagim usually for us, not for him. So it was like this. Kashem Shechal, Shem Shemaim al Kacha Shishma Sukkah, 
שנאמר חג הסוכות בין השם, מחג להשם וסוכה להשם. The same way that שם שמיים dwells or resides in the קורבן חגיגה, so to the סוכה. Same way the קורבן is, is dedicated to קדוש ברוך הוא, so to the סוכה. The סוכה is סוכה להשם. It's basically סוכה which is כביכול given to קדוש ברוך הוא. And this is, the word they use in a halachic context to explain various halachot, but the point is that the sukkah is analogous to a korban. The, the same way the korban is dedicated to Kodesh Baruch Hu, so too the sukkah is dedicated to Kodesh Baruch Hu. And they serve one and the same function. <clears throat> okay, having said all this, I now want to stop for a moment and point out But nevertheless, there is a major difference. The difference is the following. In Besamekdash, we go to his dwelling. Right? You leave your home, you go in Aliyala Regal. Man enters, enters God's abode. We, he doesn't come to our house. We go to his home, we leave everything behind, and you go up. Somebody Zacharias says, L'chug et chag Hashem, et chag esukot b'yushalayim. In the sukkah, though, the reverse seems to be happening. Kaddish Baruch Hu enters into your home. Kaddish Baruch Hu comes to visit you. Because when you create, in those, the sukkah is your sukkah. It's in your house. And Kaddish Baruch Hu comes to your home and he visits you over there. So if you want, this goes back to the desert. Amishel is living his life. Amishel are living their lives over there. And Kaddish Baruch Hu accompanies them in their lives. It's, you, know, you know, the Mikdash and the Mishkan are time out. You go back to Mikdash, you leave your life behind, you take a time out, you, um, you go up to the Mikdash, and then you return back. The same way, the same dynamic of Mamed Arsina. But in the Sukkah, it's the same dynamic of the wilderness. And there is a difference, um, there's a difference between, um, between the, the, the Midbar And uh, Mamad al-Sinai. Mamad al-Sinai, everything stopped. The world stopped dead in its, or live in its tracks. The world stopped. Everything was, right, no one can move. There's no movement. There's no activity. Even the animals have to be shut down. Everything is paralyzed. Because Gershom comes down. If I spoke about the Haftarah before, it reminds me of the Haftarah of Shavuos. Because Gershom descends and the world trembles. There can be no activity. However, right, after Mamad Arsina, it says, Go back to your homes, your families, um, go back to your homes, your families, and resume life. You're resuming life, nevertheless, under the canopy of the anime Kavod. And the same idea is also mentioned by, by Sukkot, or, excuse me, by the Chagim. Ufanita You, you leave this amikdash after Eliel and Regal, and you go back to your home. So in that regard, the same way the Amud Anan and the Mishkan continued to begin Mamad Sinai, so to the Sukkah continues to happen Mikdash. So you have the Mikdash Yushalayim, but then we have also Sukkot, which allows to continue this. Now, time is Mikdash, there's real tension, right? You've got an Eliel Regal, you stay home in your Sukkah. So obviously, it's got an Eliel Regal, but If it's not the other regal, you then have the sukkah has to replace. If you're going to have the regal, hopefully you find the sukkah. But if not, you're all chedrachim. So presumably you find the sukkah nevertheless. And but at any rate, sukkah it's very similar, but the dynamic in a sense is uh, is reversed. Uh, some of the people in the chat have pointed out. The Rebbe writes this about Shabbos versus Yom Tov. It's also true about the sukkah versus um, the mikdash. But I also like to add something else. You can connect this to the previous point or you can look at it independently. Especially if you read the Mikdash described in Aftar the Malachi. If you read in Aftar Shlomo, and this I did write about in the, in the Aftar book in Hebrew and some of the other Aftarot, it is a grand building. Shlomo built a grand edifice Shlomo wants to make a magnificent building that expresses majesty. It's a building which uh, can be seen from miles away. It's a grand edifice. Unlike the Mishkan, 
And I like the sukkah. Sukkah is very humble. The sukkah is, you know, a few, um, basically a few boards, a little schach, some leaves. Uh, and the sukkah is a, a very miskan. The sukkah is small. It's a sukkah. And um, the sukkah, you know, if the Mishkan radiates majesty, the sukkah radiates the reverse. It's temporary. It's, but, and this is a crucial point, in the, Mikdash, the Mikdash itself has two elements. There's one element of majesty, that of intimacy. The intimacy is the Kosha Kadoshim, and to a lesser degree, the Heicha. Think for a moment about yesterday. It has to be intimate. And Chazal have very strong me- metaphors about the Kruvim. The Kru- Chazal see the Kruvim as a metaphor for the Kinet, they describe it as See how the Kaddish Baruch Hu, the relationship is described there almost in sexual terms almost, to, as a metaphor like Shir Shirin, to describe the man-God relationship. Now, the Sukkah lacks the majesty. But in a sense, it, it can provide, but the point is, Kaddish Baruch Hu can visit you in a small Nebuch Sukkah. You don't need for that to be a majestic base of Mikdash. May I should put it differently, which Shlomo will say, Further on in that same parak, and even the most majestic building in the world is basically a humble abode relative to Machmachim Lachim. It doesn't make a difference. It can be the biggest and tallest and most beautiful building in the world. It's still uh, basically a sukkah. So sukkah tells us, even though the mikdash has majesty and glory in it, that's of the essence. The essence really is the the sukkah itself, the anan, the space. And um, in that regard, the, the idea of sukkah is, uh, is no different than the idea of, uh, of the mikdash, even though they're very reversed in terms of the architecture and, uh, and the position. Uh, I should also add, I forgot to mention before this, that interestingly, the Gemara learns the fact that you have to sit seven days and seven nights, uh, or maybe I'll, and let me just preface the question. The Gemara wants to know how come a lulav you take once a day. Right? You take a lulav once a day, and that's it. You, you pick it up, meaning the moment you pick it up, that's it. A split second. A sukkah has to be day and night. The Gemara wants to know how do you know this? If you look at Masechet Sukkah, Daf Mem Gimel, so the Gemara says, uh, you learn from Milui. Seven to Milui, that would be seven days and seven nights without leaving the premise, so to in a sukkah. Meaning, love is a mitzvah. Sukkah means being in the Kajmachu's presence. It's learned from Milui. You're in the Kajmachu's presence, so therefore you uh, have to be there constant. It's seven days of experiencing his presence. And that's, in a sense, what Lopai uh, the Sukkot is all about. You could add a little more. You could add here a little more, but I'll conclude because time is running out. I just want to say a sentence or two about, um, if you want, yesterday and, and maybe coming to quote as well. To, lo- to best my knowledge, in, in the U.S. as well, in Israel certainly, uh, with the exclusion of Yeshiva, maybe because of our kapsulot, uh, but essentially all of Am Yisrael Davin and Yom Kippur instead of in a shul and a sukkah. Literally, and, uh, on the streets with uh, all kinds of makeshift uh, coverings and awnings and, and, and gezebus and whatnot. And Abisur, in a sense, left the bayit into the sukkah. It was obviously not easy, I mean, you know, in 90 degree plus uh, heat, to spend your kippur outdoors. But it was a serious nefesh in the sense of re-experiencing the the, the, the the idea of being in the midbar and being with, you know, having quote unquote on the night kavod, you know, praying, you know, the davening of Yom Kippur under the sky with minimal sukkot. And, uh, it's, it was like being in the midbar and, uh, being in the mid, and to a lot, it was, there was a certain inspiration and uplifting to this, which was dubit davka to the fact, circles were different. I'm convinced. That the schus of, of davening makeshift, uh, minyanim and the temporary, uh, accommodations 
in of itself is a tremendous schut that did a lot to bring the other tefillot upstairs to the Kisei Kavod. Normally you need Kavana to do that. But when Kavana says that you're invested in the tefillah and that you're serious and you're sincere, when you go to such great efforts in advance and uh, you uh, put so much effort into making sure you can daven, and when you do it despite the hardship and the difficulty, so that in itself expresses your seriousness, your sincerity, and I think uh, it's a great inspiration. And uh, in a sense, if the point is all sheer is that you can meet Kosh Baruch Hu in the in the in the sukkah in the, the midbar. So I think we may do this in your kipper to a to no small degree, and it may happen again sukkot. Uh, but uh, that in of itself is a message which I think is important, independent of the sukkah that we have outdoors uh, in which we which we'll sit in and Bezad uh, Hashem. You know this. The same way we sat in the, we sit in the sukkah this year, uh, as we say at the end of sukkah, you had sunshine, sket leshev, sukkah toro, shet liviyatana, and the midrash says in Shira Shirim, smalot tachli roshivim, matichabkeini. It's supposed to be Shira Shirim that I put my, I put my head under his left arm and his right arm uh, embraces me. So that roshiv the sukkah. Vinoti Chabkeni is, what is it? Vinoti Chabkeni is Anan Shechinalati Lavo. Amen, Ken Yeretzam. Thank you very much. And Chag Sameach to everybody. It's good to see many familiar faces. Tadaraba. Hey, thank you very much, Ramosha, for this beautiful shear. I know you have to go and record another shear. We can just take the one we recorded in Zoom if you want to stay. I'm not going. Anybody. I have another forty minutes till they need me, so I'm fine. Okay, so you know, I know some people have to leave, but if somebody wants to stay on for some Q and A, either questions about the shear, you can raise your hand and I'll unmute you. Or if there are any other things about Yenadioma that people have questions, I'm happy to uh, unmute. Um, I, I, I don't apologize for not uh, adjusting the chats. Uh, I used to observe the shirt itself. Uh, so, sorry. So I look at I look at it later on but I couldn't I, I couldn't get the chance to talk to them. Rav Nisanel, okay, Nisanel Bron, Rabbi Nisanel Bron from Brothers Israel is a question. Okay, thank He's you. Um, ask a question going back to Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah as opposed to, to looking forward to Sukkot. Um, one of the fascinating, I guess, results of shortening Davin here in America was the overwhelmingly positive reception that such a davening actually, um, you know, offered. People were, were overjoyed at having a shortened davening and probably had a better davening. Um, I would imagine that next year we will get a lot of push and pressure to do something similar. Please God, we should be in a different place next year. Um, and my question, therefore, is, is, is what's printed in the art school sort of gospel in America at this point? Uh, and what kind of leeway do we have if indeed we believe it will really bring a better davening? Um, and I, again, I would contrast that to Yeshiva. My son's in, in Shabbat now. Uh, he was sad that, yeshiva, that that davening was shortened. Um, Balabatim and Law Branch, New Jersey, don't feel that same. Uh, they don't approach davening with the same spirit. They don't understand it the same way. Um, you know, what kind of latitude do we have um, moving forward? I agree. With you. I think the crucial question here is, do people feel, uh, it's like this, the idea this year was to make tefillah short but intense. And I reminded the Grand Brachos, the Grand in Brachos, to tell the story about two Talmudim. One of them, he was a chazan, and he went on forever. He was marich and marich and marich, and the, the Balabatim got upset. And one of their minds says, He's not longer than Moshe Rabbeinu who prayed for 40 days. And uh, then there's the reverse story. The other guy was very short. No, he, was, he was much too brief. So they said, <laughs> he's, not, he's, not, he's not short than Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu said five words. Words, the question is the intensity. The question is not the duration per se. I, I said in Yeshiva uh, the other day, how come Moshe Rabbeinu said only five words? It's obvious he was in distress. When you when you pray for a chole, five words can suffice. When you're not praying for a chole, it's much more difficult. So you have to. So if people feel that it's short but intense, 
And because this year's circumstances make us intense, you can't say this year without feeling it. But um, so now, if people want next year to be shorter and more intense, and they're invested in the same way, that's one kind of discussion. If people simply are using this as an excuse to chuck out whatever they don't like anyways, you know, for years you want to get rid of Kohelis, and now we finally have the ability to do it, uh, to pull it off. One of the minyanim here, uh, you know, sure that they want to get rid of Kohelet. Why they get rid of Kohelet? I don't know. It just, I think it's for 20 years they want to get rid of Kohelet, and now's the opportunity. Uh, so if that's the, in Zeharosh, if that's the idea, it's obviously a negative idea. That's, uh, you know, broadly speaking. Uh, to go back to the other point, feel evolves constantly. I can point that, you know, if you all want, you can, make, you can maybe once make anything Zoom share about changes in tefillah from our childhood, at least outside this. Uh, if, if I'm in a, in a friendly uh, forum over here, and uh, I felt very strange this year in Kippur. I realized it's the first time in my life I've been one of the oldest people in Shul. And so I wasn't the oldest, Baruch Hashem, but I was one of the oldest people in Shul uh, because... We had no guests, you know, only 20-year-old kids. Uh, and it was uh, it was a humbling experience. Uh, it was not a pursuit. Uh, so, um, and now to uh, to go back to, so I, I, can, I can make a whole Zoom thing here about how over the last 40, 50 years, things have evolved and changed. The Machzer I got as a child, as a 10-year-old, the Machzer Rab I got is not quite the Machzer Koran that they publish nowadays. No, probably not the art scroll. And uh, so feel constantly evolves, and it's, it's this constant process. Now, your son will tell you, I assume, or I hope, uh, so I'll tell you that the model that I've said probably 100 times in Yeshiva per year, not per end uh, of my lifetime, is these, all these things should be done in an evolutionary and not a revolutionary fashion. But evolutionary means a certain, a certain dialogue between the call of its imperceptible, sometimes it's articulated, Usually it's imperceptible. Um, things happen, but, but the, at the end of the day, it, it's not quite glacial, but it's slow. It's like uh, the Everglades. It, it, it flows very slowly, and it's much healthier like that. Now, if some of um, some of these some of the things which happened this year, I think we'll, I think will indeed enter the mainstream. You know, and this may have been the catalyst, but they will enter the mainstream. And, um, you know, 20 years now, people, you know, scholars read articles, when did we stop saying Mishabeirach? <laughs> or when did we throw out, or, uh, you know, such and such a piyut? Uh, just to give an example, Yeshiva was shorter, not by much, because we had the luxury of being in a building. Uh, but nevertheless, we, we decided it had to be short for a variety of reasons, mostly health reasons. And so we took, we took all the issues, all the Rishuyot, now the truth is, these Rishuyot are the are the are the element which people are the least identify with. They don't say it, and also the Hebrew is much much more complicated. It's it's a comp, it's a complex literary uh, structure, and unlike it's very easy to say. There's no, it's it's not too sophisticated. Then you repeat the same pasuk over and over, or Masa okay no Masa. When, you, when these Rishuyot are complicated. And I suspect that many people say next year also, it's time to maybe, through the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we don't have them anyways anymore. So this happened probably 300 years ago. It might happen now. I, I think there, there indeed may be changes. What's crucial is it should be done because people are trying to improve the tefillah. Not because tefillah is boring, and not because tefillah, as I said before, there was simply an excuse. If we really believe it'll improve things, as long as it's not, um, I don't think, I, I don't think art scroll is etched in stone. Not because it's art scroll. Because I thought before, feel is constantly, there's a constant dialogue. It's sometimes it's influenced by even some, uh, supposedly trivial things like a, a, a good tune. A catchy tune for, uh, for Piot can make it or break it. And like, when I was a child, all the Machsar said, you stop Marikoin after the Chaf. Because that's the meaning. You say Mariko until Kaf. Then Prichy London came along with his tune for Mariko. Hey? Ever since then, every show sings it at least, says the whole thing at least once. And uh, 
So there are all kinds of such dynamics. And therefore, I don't think we have to automatically disqualify these dynamics. We should be careful. That's quantity is quality in these things. I don't want next year's davening to be very different uh, from uh, from like most five, ten years ago. But if it will evolve, the city is constantly evolving. So, um, and as someone just wrote it in the chat, the question also is what do you do the rest of the day? But that's a different story. Yeah. Some, uh, Rav Moshe, somebody wrote that a few years ago, there was something Rosh Hashiva wrote about not turning every crisis into a crisis regarding adding tefillot and tehillim. The beginning of the pandemic, the Rosh Hashiva advised that people should add tefillot to Shmona Esrei, along with Avina Malkin, who are not skipping Tachanun on days we normally would skip. Today, the 11th of Tishrei, I would think we should continue following those protocols, but should we have stopped over the summer? So, I, I don't remember exactly the first quote, but it doesn't matter. The, 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 in a nutshell, I indeed think, and you know, I think both myself and uh, the, the other Rosh Hashiva as well, indeed tried pouring Pesach time to try to transmit the sense of a crisis and an eight Sarah and, uh, and indeed so should be added. And uh, I, I indeed think it was, it was the right thing to have done then. Over summer, I think it's in things basically, not only do things ease objectively, but I also think subjectively, people have a different feeling. And I think it's crucial for tefillah. Davening can create an atmosphere, but also requires a certain atmosphere. If people don't feel a crisis, like I, I, I tell you, I, I stop, we stop saying, at some point we, 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 we transfer it to saying one prayer to live in the yeshiva, after a while, we stopped even that. Because when I went to, when I went around, at least in Israel in the summer, you know, I went up north in, in Benazmanim, the, all of the, you know, the beaches, the, the all of the recreation uh, was, they were mobbed. And, you know, they, they have they have kayaks. <laughs> for, for America, it's a joke, but there's one place near Kirch Shmon where they have kayaks. And, you know, it's a small stream. It's not quite what you call a river in uh, North American standards. Nevertheless, I could tell you in the parking lot, there were probably 500 cars with probably 1,000 unmasked people. And uh, when the whole country forgot, you know, shrugged off the whole crisis, you, you can't have a Tfilobet Tzar when people are cavalier and uh, have um, basically shrugged everything off. There has to be some kind of correspondence. But just to correspond, I, 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 I'll say it again. If I tried, if I tried to daven in Tubishvat, Yom Kippur davening, if I tried to daven the Ela, saying on, on, on day after Tubishvat, is spiritually wrong. You can only daven the Ela when there's, there's a correlative between your inner feeling and the words you're expressing. If there's no subjective correlative in your neshama, it can't be done. In other words, in if you hug your, if you hug your wife when you don't feel anything, it's wrong. That's your correspondence between your feelings and your expression. And now sometimes the expression creates the feeling, but it has to be some kind of correlation. And over the summer, I, I felt the correlation was undone. And when it was undone, you can't do it. There's also something else, that's inflation. We stopped saying Avinu Malkeinu, and we, and we had a discussion, some of the Rosh Hashim and the Rami. We said to ourselves, if we, don't, if we say Avinu Malkeinu for four months running, Avinu Malkeinu and Elul are certainly truly worthless. We will simply have eroded it through inflation. And inflation is a danger, not only economically, it's a spiritual danger, it's a danger in everything you do. And in relationships, it's a danger. And so therefore, I think indeed it was the right thing. Now, I, I, I know what in North America. In Israel, since a crisis, it's probably five, six days old now, again. Now, I really think we should maybe, it's really time to resume maybe um, some of what we did Pesach time. You know, things have gone out of hand. I think people also feel different. And when people feel different, um, so then, um, then it may make sense. But it has to be, outside this, you know, if, if nobody's been insulted here, I've been to shows in America, at least, at least maybe the last two, three years, they're still saying Tilim for the Intifada. You know, in 2000, they started saying a prayer Tilim, and then they sort of, no, no one probably remembers why. But you, you, you're all going to shows, and every day, after Enkelokain or whatever, or Alain or Shishayom, they say Perik Tilim, and they mumble it. 
because the Intifada was over 10 years ago and started like 17 years ago, but someone forgot to send it, have to switch. So now they still have another Periklim, which is they basically taken Kuflamid and lost it. So you have to know not only when to say it, but also when to stop saying it. That's my opinion. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, again, well, is I to everybody who's great being here and uh, glad to do this again uh, some other time. Uh, I will unmute everyone just uh, for good wishes. And if anybody, again, has something to say, I hopefully, thank you very much, Ramosha. I just... Thank you, Samer. Thank you, Samer. Thank you, Samer.